Thanks, Lance, um, and good morning to you. I'm carrying on this morning. <clears throat> we and talked about tending our roots, sort of back to basics. And, and one of the things we felt to look at was looking at worship corporately when we get together. There's, worship is a very broad topic. We could talk about it in, in many different ways. But we're talking specifically about our corporate worship when we get together as, as a church family at meetings like this. And last week, and I don't want to recap too much, but last week um, I concentrated on, first of all, defining the difference between praise and worship. Praise being boasting, talking, demonstratively calling attention to the goodness of God. We looked at the Hebrew words, words like shaka and um, zama and halal and yada and toda, which mean things like holding up your hands and shouting, and one of them means to be uh, clamorously foolish, um, that we are exuberant. Praise is always demonstrative or verbal. When it's used in the Bible, it always involves people actively doing something to attract attention to the goodness and the greatness of God. It's about boasting about how good our God is. And we spoke about the fact that we do that because that makes us change. It doesn't change Him. God never changes. We don't, we don't get Him ready for the day by praising Him. We give Him enough praise and He's ready to get out of bed and look after the universe. It doesn't work that way. We change when we praise, and the circumstances change when we praise, and the enemy retreats when we praise, and we change circumstances. And we looked last week at the biblical precedent of the tabernacle, which Israel used to worship at, where people would come with thanksgiving and with praise, and they would go through physical activities which would all be designed to focus, and I've got to be careful, last week when I went focus, I threw my glasses on the ground and they broke. You can see I've got heavy duties on this morning. I've got to be careful with my arms. But that there was physical things that you did to bring a focus as you came into the manifest presence of God, where God makes himself known. We change ourselves, he doesn't change himself, but we are placed in a position where we respond to his presence. Today we're going to focus on that response to his presence. Praise can be an act of your will. I said last week, praise is always appropriate. You're never a hypocrite when you're praising God. Some people say, I don't feel like praising this morning. I've had an argument with my wife. I'd be a hypocrite to praise God. No, you wouldn't, because praise is not about what you are. It's about who God is. And it's always appropriate to praise God. So we can bring ourselves from a situation we looked at Paul and Silas in jail, beginning to praise God at midnight, and the circumstances changed. Today I want to speak about worship, because worship is a heart response. Worship is a heart response. You bring yourself to a place by taking hold of your circumstances where you're responding with your heart to God. And worship can be less demonstrative and quieter. And worship involves our hearts responding to Him. You know, we, we do ourselves a disservice sometimes because I, I've shared a number of times when I've, I've spoken about the fact that I come from a very conservative background church-wise. And when I was growing up in the church that I grew up in, there was this disapproval of people who were demonstrative about their love for God. It was considered to be those were people who were emotionally immature and needed to hype themselves up about God. We were the chosen frozen. We were more mature. We didn't have to do anything. We were just there. And we rob ourselves because there are, and Ant mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, there are two extremes you can fall into. You can be so focused on just 
the letter of the word that there is no joy and there is no response to the Spirit of God. And you can be so exuberant in the Spirit that you wander away from the Word, and there needs to be what Anne called a, a radical middle path, where we incorporate both of those in their fullness. Not a bit of each, but the fullness of being embedded in the Word of God and the truth of His Word and, and the discipline of His Word, and fully immersed in enjoying the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's okay to feel excited about God. It's okay to feel emotional about God. We are created in the image of God. He placed emotions within us. And we are allowed to be emotional about God. Somehow, some people seem to think that, that that's something we shouldn't do in church. We must all be very stiff upper lip all the way through church because there's something wrong with any emotion coming into what we're doing. I love my wife. I show emotion when I tell my wife I love her. I don't stand at a distance and say, Oh ye who married me, forsooth, I do love thee. I give her a hug and I whisper it in her ear. And we, we watch, we landed up watching the, the voice, the voice, the, the one where they turned the chairs around last night. And Will I Am, the dude from the Black Eyed Peas, a lady got up and sang a song and he was in tears. He was in tears because it reminded him of something and he, and he dissolved, this, the superstar dissolved in tears. And everybody else cried. And it was a lovely time that they had in the place. And you know, People acknowledged it was a heartfelt thing. Don't do that in church. Mustn't do that in church. That, that's too emotional. We must put God over there and say, Oh, thou God who has created us. Worship is a heart response. Let's have a look at the definition of worship. The most common word used in the New Testament in Greek for worship is the Greek word proskuneo. It means, well, it occurs 60 times in the New Testament, 57 of which are in the four Gospels, Acts and Revelation. The other three instances occur in Corinthians, Hebrews, and Hebrews again. It originally carried with the idea of subjects falling down to kiss the ground before a king or to kiss their feet. The literal definition means to kiss like a dog licking its master's hand, to fawn or crouch, do homage, do reverence. God does not think we're dogs. Please, don't get this wrong. But it refers in the Greek to that utter devotion that you see when that dog responds to its master who it sees as being the source of every good thing in its life. The source of its safety, the source of its, of its sustenance and everything. God doesn't see us as animals. Please don't get this wrong. But the depth of the word is that it's a response when we realize the totality of the goodness of God. And our response will be, when we see that, to respond with all of what we are in gratitude and thanks. And in many occasions when the word is used in the Bible, people physically put themselves on the ground in adoration. They go on their knees before God, they go on their faces before God. It means to kiss the hand in token of reverence. It means to touch the ground with the forehead as an expression of profound reverence. In the New Testament, by kneeling or prostration to do homage, to make abeyance, whether in order to express respect or to make supplication. There's some examples. Um, the man with leprosy, it says, he came and knelt before Jesus, Matthew 8 and 2. He knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing to make it in. He responded to Jesus' presence. He knew Jesus was the source of what he needed. 
and he went and he responded to what Jesus was. Um, another man, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. In Luke 24, this is about the end of Jesus' time on earth, it says, when he had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them, and while he was blessing them, he left and was taken up into heaven, and then they worshipped him. It's about being in the presence of God, being fully aware of the presence of God and responding to that. Now, in, in John chapter 4, Jesus is talking to someone, and I said to you last week that worship in Old Testament times took place at a geographical place where God chose to manifest himself. In the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies, as it traveled through the wilderness, later in Jerusalem at the temple, people would go to worship at the temple. We make a mistake if we think they went to worship at the synagogues. They went to go and teach and to learn and to debate at the synagogues. If they went to worship, they took their worship to the, the temple in Jerusalem. And for that reason, in, in, in John chapter 4, Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman, and she says, where must we worship? She says, you Jews worship in Jerusalem. We worship on this hill. Where should we worship? Because the Samaritans had got their theology a little bit bent. It's a long story. But Jesus turns around and he says, the time is coming and now has now come, he's talking about himself, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. We are no longer restricted to a physical place. I spoke last week about the fact that when Jesus died, the veil in the temple was ripped. There was no need of a holy of holies anymore. God walked out of the temple. The earth shook. God was no longer having to protect us from his presence. So here we are, able to move into the presence of God. How does that happen? I need to say this. I said it before. There's no formula. There are principles. We can find ourselves in the presence of God because we choose to push other things aside. We take away that veil that we construct. We can also land up in the presence of God because he sovereignly decides to manifest his presence. Moses is walking through the back of the desert with his sheep and he sees a burning bush and he goes up and God says, stop. And Moses, sorry, not Moses, yeah, Moses. Um, Moses hadn't been in a process of saying, I want to stand in the presence of God. He was sheep herding. And God chose to manifest his presence. Don't rule out the fact that God can walk into your life at any time that he chooses if you open to it, even if you aren't. He's almighty God. This is not, I'm not talking today about some kind of a slot machine where we pop it in and God appears. God can manifest his presence wherever he likes, but we can position ourselves to move into that presence. So why? So why? Why when we come together here, do we make time for us to apply the principles of praise and apply the principles of worship so that there is the opportunity for us to stand in the manifest presence of God. Why do we do that? What's the purpose? It's what we were created to do. It's what we were built to do. Go right to the beginning of the book and you find Adam and Eve in relationship with God, unhindered, unfettered, looking on his face. And God created them to love him and for him to love them. To serve him and for him to bless them. To worship him and for him to embrace them. They were there for the mutual joy of who they are and who they, who they were with God. And there is an aspect of us coming together in a time of worship when we are corporately together or at any time when it's just the love 
and the joy of standing in the presence of God. It's the joy of being with that person that we love. God is an emotional being. He created us in His image with emotion. God feels. You read the Bible, it says God was angry. God was sad. Before the flood came, God was grieved. God feels. And God loves feeling with us. If you're a parent or a child, and we all are, you know that thing about being with the person that you love. And you know the joy it brings you as a parent when your children want to be with you and want to be in your presence. And when they respond to your presence. When they're not just somewhere over there, but when they're actually giving you their attention and loving on you. God enjoys that. One of the reasons we come into his presence and worship is for the sheer joy of it for God because he deserves it and for the sheer joy of it for us as his children because we need that to sustain us and to build us up. And don't underrate that. I believe the devil would come to us sometimes and say, you don't need that. You don't need that. You've got all the facts. You've got all the procedures. You've got all the plans and all the strategies. You're okay. You don't need to feel the presence of God. You don't need to enjoy the presence of God. You can just carry on regardless. And I want to say this to you. You should be prepared to carry on regardless. But there's a place in God's heart where he wants to rejoice with us. It's 1 Chronicles 29, 21-22 says this, The next day they made sacrifices to the Lord and presented burnt offerings to him. They came with their physical stuff that they could do, like we come with our praise and our decision to do things. A thousand bulls, a thousand rams, and a thousand male lambs together with their drink offerings. That was quite a barbecue. It was the magnitude of what they wanted to show to God in their, in, in their desire to be with him. And it says, and the sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. And then it says this in verse 22, and they ate and drank with great joy in the presence of the Lord that day. We are built and designed and intended to be in the presence of God with great joy. This is not a cold father. This is not a Victorian God who says, Children should be seen and not heard. I'll just trot you out to tell people how well you've done in your exams and to see that you can say your times tables and then I'll trot you back into the, the nursery. This is a God who wants to be done, I want to say this almost reverently, on his hands and knees playing with us as his children. So that's a purpose to do it. But that's not all. God's presence changes us. I want to read to you from 2 Corinthians 3 verses 12 through to 18. It says this, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day that same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. When we spend time in the presence of God, we change 
to be more like him. It frightens me sometimes. I, we're so blessed to have Matthew back with us. It's six months a long time, been away. But it frightens me sometimes when I hear him talking to people and I hear my words coming out of his mouth. Because he never listened to them when I told him when he was little. Or didn't seem like it. Didn't seem like it. But now I hear him talking to people and I hear stuff that I taught him coming out of his mouth because he has changed by being with me. And he is more like me. When we spend time in the presence of God, when we spend time fellowshipping with God, God changes us to be more like him. In the case of Moses, when he walked out from the place where he met with God in worship, his face shone so that people couldn't look at it. He physically began to resemble God. And that was a testimony to who God was. When we spend time, guys, I love the Bible. I love learning God's Word. I love getting in there and digging. I'm not a scholar, but I can, I can surf the internet, I can find the Greek, and I can dig in there, and I love it. But it's in the presence of God that that knowledge that you stick up here in your head drops the 18 inches into your heart and becomes life, and becomes stuff that you practice and not just know. It becomes reality. It's in the presence of God that you become more like Him. Your actions begin to reflect His actions more. We change, and therefore we should seek to spend as much time as we can in the presence of God. Because in doing so, we become more effective. In it says here, listen to this, we are transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord. And I, I don't want to keep repeating things I've said before, but the word glory means to be very obvious, to be very apparent. That's what glory means. The glory of God is the obvious presence of God. It's the, it's the very apparentness of God. The more time I spend face to face with God, the more God becomes obvious in me. And the more I show and reflect the glory of God. Moses did it physically, his face shone. We need to shine. When I was a child, I was taught a little song. In this world of darkness, so we must shine. You in your small corner and I in mine. Jesus bids us shine like a clear, pure light was the, was the chorus. We're supposed to show the presence of God, but how do we know it? How do we reflect it? By being in his presence. It's interesting, the converse works as well. Listen to this. Psalm 115 verses 4 to 8. It says, But their idols are silver and gold, made by the hands of men. They have mouths but cannot speak. Eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. Noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but cannot feel. Feet, but they cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. You become like what you worship. You become like what you spend your time with. And therefore, it is appropriate and good that we seek the presence of God, that we seek the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. It changes us. We become more effective. Listen to this. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. And afterwards all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him. He spoke what God had spoken into his heart. 
and stands up regularly in front of this place and he talks to us and he teaches the word of God. Where does he get that? Some of it is from studying, some of it is his intellect and his skill, but how does, how does he want to serve God? By spending time in God's presence and allowing God to inspire him and point out to him those things that he wants to say and wants to do. We become vessels in the hand of God, but we need to spend time listening to him. We need to make a space when all the other stuff in the world is shouting at us. Because the world shouts with such a loud voice. It, the internet, television, music, radio, we've constantly got a stream of stuff coming at us, telling us what the world wants. Mostly it's buy this, buy that, buy this, buy that, do this, do that. Because that's how we run. Somewhere in there we need to come aside and make time for God to speak into our hearts so we become more effective and we speak out from the anointing of God in our lives and make a difference. It's a purpose. It's not just, it is about feeling joy in the presence of the Lord, but it's not just about feeling joy in the presence of the Lord. It's about becoming more effective in sharing the presence of, of the Lord. I, I just want to talk about the reality of how we respond when God begins to make his presence known. You know, when your children are small and you come in the door, they respond differently at different times. And sometimes it brings you great joy and sometimes it doesn't, but you love them anyway. Sometimes when you come in, they've just had an argument. And as you come in, their first words are, she did that, no, but he did that, no, but she did that, and you need to sort him, and, and we love them, so we do it. Sometimes if you've been away somewhere exciting and you come in, they're looking at your hands to see if there's a present. Have you brought the thing that they wanted? Have you come with the thing that they enjoy? And sometimes we like that with God. The moment God begins to manifest his presence, out comes the list. Oh Lord, now that you're here, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need And our focus goes from the face of God to the hands of God to see what he's got in his hands to bring to us. And we don't take time just to love him. Because the best thing for a dad is when you walk in the door and they run and they grab you around your legs and they say, Daddy, 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 I've done this today, I've done that today, and I've done this today, and I love you, and, and, and it's fantastic. It's time stick in your mind. You know, I was, I was lying in bed last night and thinking about this, and I was just reminded, in 1990 we moved from a place called Hermanus in South Africa, a little seaside resort, up to Johannesburg. And, and it was a big move for us, and it was hard, and I was a bit disillusioned about some stuff, and, and it, it's, it, it was not the happiest time in my life. But I can remember one of the happiest times in my life. My children were very small. Matthew was just pushing two. He was, he was, he was one. Well, the time I'm talking about it, almost a year later, 91 was the World Cup football in Italy. West Germany won. They beat Argentina. England came fourth. And um, Italy themselves came third. Both of them lost their semi-finals by missing penalties. That was when Waddle missed and Stuart Pierce missed and Roberto Baggio missed. Now, Jesse was four. Matthew was rising to, he was little. I remember coming home during the World Cup. I'd, I'd rush home. It was late afternoon, early evening. And for some other reason, the kids got into watching the matches with me. And I would walk in the door and Jess would come with a blanket and we would sit on the couch in front of the television and Sandra would swing by with Matthew and drop him on my lap and we would sit and watch the World Cup and by the end of it, Jessica could recognize Badger by his, his, his um, ponytail and stuff. Now the point was this, it wasn't something that they would naturally have done for themselves. Their hero at that time was a guy called Cedric the Crow. 
but they wanted to be with me. And it was a joy for me to sit with them in their, in their presence. I came home every afternoon, and they would run to me, and Jesse would be ready with a blanket, and they'd say, come, we're going to go and watch the, the, the football. And it was something simple, but it brought great joy to me because my children just wanted to be with me. They weren't looking for me to give them something. They didn't have a list of things. They just wanted to be in the presence of Dad. It was winter. It was as cold as Joburg gets, and we would snuggle under the blankets, and, and, it, and Sandra would be doing great stuff in the kitchen. And it, it, life was good because I was in the presence of my family, and we were loving each other. And I want to encourage you that there are times when we get together when God makes his presence known. Don't immediately start looking to his hand. Don't immediately start looking to what you need from him. I want to reassure you about this. When God manifests his presence, he manifests his presence as all of who he is. God doesn't do healing. God is healing. God doesn't do love. God is love. God doesn't do provision. God is provision. He calls himself El Shaddai, the breasty one, the one that is more than enough. And when God manifests his presence, we're standing in his provision, in his love, in his healing, and in his deliverance. It's there. It's there. But is that our first response, supermarket? Or is our response, I love you, Lord? There's a time when in the presence of God we move into that kind of ministry, when we move into bringing our needs, we move into warfare, we move into supplication, we move into deliverance, whatever it might be. But I want to encourage you, there is a place, there is a discipline in taking the time to just tell him that we love him. To just call out his greatness. So that ends, you know, the Bible talks about the fact that sometimes our spirit groans within us with words that we can't, we begin to speak in languages we don't understand. The disciples, when the Spirit came upon them at, at Pentecost, ran out into the street and began to speak in languages they didn't understand. Their spirits were praising God. They didn't even know how to do it, but they were so moved. The Spirit within them was so moved that they began to pray. There's a time when, when we just have the joy of the Lord, and then in that presence, God begins to guide us and begins to move us. And we have the opportunity to go from here into the world with our faces showing that glory of God, with our lives showing that glory of God. We get the opportunity to go out there in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in our own power, in that familiar presence, because here's the great thing. When we leave, he doesn't stay behind. He goes with us. He goes with us. And that brings me to, to, to the last thing I really want to talk about, which is the second most common word for worship in the New Testament, which is the word latreo. And it means to serve. Worshipping by serving. It means to serve, minister either to the gods or to men who are used alike as slaves and freemen. It's, it's performs sacred services to offer gifts to worship God in the observance of the rites instituted for the purpose. It's doing stuff. Romans 12, 1 puts it well. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. There is a lifestyle of worship. There is a decision that we take the presence of God into all that we do. 
that we take it out there into the world. And you're in the office with a whole bunch of people who don't know God, but your actions are there serving God. You're not just working at your computer, you are deciding to make God's presence part of you working at that computer. You are deciding to make God's presence the way, part of the way that you respond to people around you. You are, you are involving Him, you are acknowledging Him. And in doing so, you're taking that, that moment of intimacy and building it into a lifetime of intimacy with God. There's a lovely missionary lady called Jackie Pullinger. Some of you might have read about her. She worked in, in I think, in Hong Kong, in, in, in the, the inner city. And she went over as a young woman without any real safety net in place to go and minister. And she landed up ministering amongst the, the, the heroin addicts, amongst the triad gangs. And she talks about the fact that she, she was so in need of God's support that she spoke to God all the time. When she walked from one place to the other, she would be speaking to God. Sometimes in tongues, sometimes with the understanding, she'd be talking to God all the time. And it began to happen. She'd walk down the road and God would say, that one there, go and pray for him. And she would go and pray for a heroin addict and he'd be delivered just like that. Read her biography, it's called Chasing the Dragon, I think it's called. And she's still ministering to my knowledge. There was an awareness of what God wanted her to do even while she's walking down the street somewhere in a foreign city. God would say to her, here and there, because she was in community with him all the time. Now guys, let's bring that back to this time that we have able to spend here. It's a time of joy, it's a time of changing, but it's also a time to develop that familiarity with the presence of God so that you can take it into everyday life. It's easier here. Remember I said to you last week, music isn't worship, music isn't praise. They're the vehicle, it's a vehicle for praise and for worship. There are other ways to worship and praise. But here, in the presence of people who love God with you, in the, in the, in the presence of, of people who are wanting to worship, it's easier. There's, 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 come with me. There's that thing, come with me that takes you into an unfamiliar place until it becomes familiar. This is a place where you can build on your relationship with God. It's not the end. Your worship at home, your private worship, your, your times around God's Word and so forth, they are so, so important. But there's an opportunity here to get used to the presence of God, to get to recognize that voice. You know, when, it, when little Samuel was in the, in, in the temple and God said to him, Samuel, he went to Eli. And he said, you called? And Eli said, no, I didn't. And Samuel went back and God said, Samuel. And he went to Eli and said, you called. Until eventually, Eli said to him, next time, say, speak, Lord, because your servant is listening. Samuel didn't recognize the voice of God when he first spoke to him. Didn't recognize it. He had to learn to be familiar. But he becomes a prophet of whom it is said his words never fell to the ground. So accurately, did he recognize when God was speaking to him that everything that Samuel ever prophesied was accurate? Why? Well, it's very interesting. From when he was this big, he spent his time in front of the Holy of Holies, immersed in the presence of God. From when he was a little boy, he was listening for the voice of God. That's where we want to be. That's where we want to be. And so I want to encourage you that when we have the opportunity... I might tread on some toes now, but forgive me because I don't mean to, okay? I'm just going to speak my heart. When you have the opportunity to come into the presence of God, use it. Use it. Even though you don't feel like it, 
and, you, and, and, and you've had a bit of a lousy week and a bit of a crummy morning and the weather's miserable, you have the choice of shuffling in the back with a cup of coffee in your hand in your pocket and wondering about whether you're going to be part of it or not, or just saying, you know what? I, w- I want to be in the presence of God. I want to be there. And I want to be part of a group of people here that want to enter into the presence of God. And I want the way that I respond to encourage them and to make it possible for them. I'm not in the middle of the time that they're busy falling in love with God, going to walk over their toes because I, I want to go and do something else because I'm, I'm just not getting anything from this. Bring something, then you'll get something. And sometimes it takes discipline and sometimes it's not what we feel like doing. But I want to challenge you. Remember what I said to you. We need to meet God in the way that He wants to be met. Not necessarily the way that we prefer, but we come to Him in the way that He wants to be met. And when He meets with us, He, he blows it away. It's so sad when I read that section about us being with unveiled face. It talks about the fact, Paul's writing, and he's talking about the fact that there's still people around them for whom the veil exists. He says it's still there. Every time they look at the old covenant and they don't realize that Jesus has fulfilled it, that veil is drawn across their face. Don't let the cares of the world, the priorities of your job, your personality, your preferences, draw that veil across in front of you. Take it away. And what we're going to do now is we're going to to take some time just to worship God. You're not going to do anything different or weird, but I want to invite you. Why don't you allow God to touch you this morning? And I want to encourage you, let's, let's be loving and caring in the presence of God. I'll leave it up to Aunt. There may be a time when we begin to ask, but for, for the beginning, let's just tell him that we love him. Let's just take time to sit with him on the couch, under the blanket, and be a blessing to him. Let's lift one another and bring one another forward as we do that.